Right, I'm joined today by a uh, media relations veteran, I suppose we could describe, Rio Matlaku from APRIO. Rio, decades of engaging with newsrooms in South Africa and across the continent. It's become a bit of a cliche, I suppose, to talk about how those newsrooms have changed so profoundly in recent years, juniorization, smaller newsrooms, lack of specialization. Don't let me tell the story. What is the dynamic now? What is the landscape when we talk South African newsrooms? Yeah, it's a completely changed uh, landscape, Alan. Uh, in the last 20, 15 years, it's gotten worse. What one can describe as uh, lack of investment by media owners into into the the companies. And it's led to a, you know, several rounds of 189s where newsrooms were almost decimated with their retrenchments. And some of the people who were let go in those newsrooms were fairly senior people who were quite critical in training incoming journalists who just come in from school. And as a result, it has impacted the quality of the, the news. It's, it's impacted the product. And it is, uh, we've seen a flight of uh, advertisers as a result and resultant uh, drop in, in sales for, for newspapers in the main. And, and it's been, yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, it's getting any better. In the last few weeks, one of the few still leading uh, media organizations announced another round of uh, retrenchments in an already suffering and, and tiny newsroom and, and they look after four or five publications so it's not getting any better. You talk publications, so we're talking print journalism. Are those journalists going off to radio stations? Are they going off to television? Are they going off to online uh, news houses or are they being lost to the industry? Most have been lost to the industry. There's just a few who've gone on to, to broadcast, uh, some to radio, some to television and some to on some online publications, but a, a big part of the loss is uh, mostly towards communications and public relations. So it's not, uh, they're not reprising themselves elsewhere in, in the same, same industry. So those, those skills with people who are, who've got 30, 40 years, 20, 30, 40 years of experience being in newsrooms, like I said earlier, who, who ordinarily uh, would train junior journalists. Are not are not in newsrooms anymore, and and what we've seen, you know, is that even the 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 method, the old old trusted methods of cop journalists starting off in courts, you know, covering court court cases, it's it's a, it's a thing of the past now, and this has affected the level of writing. It has affected the journalism, as it were, and and there is an example. A, 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 about two months ago, there was a fire in the the mid city. And a, an argument ensued between journalists about coverage. You know, the one journalist was basically saying that there was a lot of laziness in how the, the whole fire was covered, that most of the journalists went in there and started trumpeting what officials and, and politicians were saying. And, and uh, one journalist, in defense of that, said, you know, you've got to understand that mostly these are young journalists who's just been thrown into the deep end. So that those are sort of dyna dynamics we deal with with, with newsrooms. From a corporate client perspective, and I suppose the one upside is your your media release, your press release might be placed verbatim in a newspaper these days if there is space because uh, the newsrooms don't perhaps have the quality to be able to assess the quality of the news release and can often just slap it in there verbatim. 
Obviously, they can often get it more wrong because they don't have the capabilities to interrogate the news so much. Is this a good thing, a bad thing for clients, this decline in numbers, decline in skills in the newsroom? In the past, the, the tradition in newsrooms was when they received uh, press releases, then they would sit down and rework the press release. But it was at a time where the newsroom had several news editors, a lot of uh, battery of uh, of sub-editors, but that that is not so. You know, there is less and less of those kinds of personnel in newsrooms. So it, it has made it extremely important for, for people who... Uh, on the corporate comms PR uh, side of things to write well and write in such a way that you don't give whoever receives your press release a lot of work to do in, in base, basically repackaging your story for, for their publication. So so writing well has become an extremely important uh, element of, of making sure that you you get a fair chance of having your story story published. The other factor as well that's important, and, and this is something I've done for the last 20 years, is relationships, Alan that people do open your emails if they, they've sat across from you and had a coffee or a beer and, and they know that they can trust what you send to them. It's important and particularly for young public relations practitioners to actually spend time reading uh, newspapers and publications and watching TV and radio and getting to understand what, what if you pick up a phone or send something to some someone, you should know what's the last thing they wrote. You know, And, and sometimes when you pick up a telephone and say to someone, I see that you wrote about this two weeks ago, a week ago, they, they sit up and listen, there's someone who's paying attention to me, something that's become extremely rare in this industry. I remember a former deputy editor, the Sowetan, once bemoaning the fact that a PR firm phoned him to say, or to ask rather, will the Sowetan ever get published in English? And had to educate them that the Sowetan is only published in English and, and essentially banned that PR firm from his newsroom at the time. What does this mean for corporates, given that perhaps skills, as we've chatted about, in decline? Can you build an educated circle? Uh, Can you do things to make those reporters a little bit more informed about the banking sector or about the mining sector or about the the retail sector? What can you do, given that it's unlikely that we're going to see bigger newsrooms, better skills going forward? In fact, there's been initiatives uh I think, Alan, for the last 15 years, the first first of which was started by a uh, an insurance company. And I remember one banking, one very leading bank doing the same thing in, in getting journalists into some kind of courses. And the one bank that I'm referring to used to particularly bring a combination of journalists and, and uh, pension fund trustees, you know, to, to walk them through the whatever is happening in the markets and, and products, whether it's bonds, whether it's... Uh, whatever products uh, are there in the on the stock exchange, so there has been there has been a a course that's been run by this uh, insurance company for years, and in our shop at Aprio we have uh, at least two banking clients, and we've been thinking. And one of the, the the banks that we look after is a digital bank, and we've been toying around with the idea of of uh, having a course that's specifically targeted at. Uh, introducing and making sure that journalists understand digital banking as it's a fairly and relatively new phenomenon in, in the market. So there is there is value in doing that. If that is not the case, then it's uh, we've been doing this with uh, with some of our clients and walking into newsrooms and meeting journalists. And, and in one instance, we said with a deputy editor of a business 
publication for about 30 minutes, just taking them through how the bank operates, what are the challenges, where, you know, the technological side of things and, and all other questions they would have. And in that sense, you, you make sure that whoever's going to write about your company is as well informed as they could be. So there is a way around it, but it needs time. Sometimes it needs a bit of money you know, to take people out and, and into social social environments, but it's it's all about relationships. So there is there is a way around that. And and some journalists, particularly young journalists, are quite keen to learn. So there is the yeah, that's the the one solution that can be practiced to to make sure that uh, you close the gap. In my media training sessions, I'll often ask the participants, how many of you in the room actually buy a newspaper out of your own pocket, whether it's on a daily or weekly basis? And and very rarely is there anyone who actually subscribes or buys a newspaper. Talking to young people, often they get their news off celebrity social media sites. They don't consume traditional media. Traditional media seems to have a trust deficit with a, a, a large swath of the population these days. Where I'm getting to is, is it still important for corporates, for organizations to have a presence in mainstream media? Or is that a paradigm we must move away from? Is there still value in pursuing relationships and getting visibility and getting your story told in traditional media platforms? There is value, uh, Alan, because you, you normally as a corporate, you speak to various uh, sectors of the public. You know, you, your, your stakeholders are, are different and and some like your your thought leaders, people in government, uh, people who are decision makers, would make it a point to pick up a Sunday, a leading Sunday newspaper or a leading weekly newspaper, or check a paper where, or an online platform where they believe a lot of views are shared that might impact the kind of work they do. So there is value in still going out. And, and having relationships with traditional media. But having said that, there is a need as well to see and, and acknowledge that younger people consume media differently and, and, and make sure that some of your news items are on, on platforms like social media where they, you know, they, they tend to spend a bit more time and make sure that even pieces that get to be communicated through those platforms are, are relevant and tailor-made to their needs. There is room for both platforms, but I think the traditional PR or communications way of doing things that you, it'll only be a press release, it'll only be, be a radio interview or television interview is is changing over time to basically say we should look at the other platforms where a growing number of uh, people who who consume media and who have the means to, to use their uh, engage with companies that we represent would want to find the stories that we tell in those platforms. We've spoken quite a bit about, I suppose, traditional print, the daily, the weeklies. What about community newspapers? They seem to be quite resilient still. Obviously, majority of them are free, distributed to suburbs, various suburban communities. Are they a viable platform? Often clients I see say, no, they, they're too small for us. And yet they've got often bigger readerships, bigger circulations than some of our of our daily newspapers in this country? Yeah, they, they are quite potent, uh, Alan. And, I mean, I know of two or three publications that distribute as much as 110, 120,000 units per week, which is much bigger than some of your established newspapers. And they, they're quite important because 
uh, as it's called, it's where most of the time it's where the rubber hit, hits the road. You know, that's where you want to talk to people in their communities, in their spaces. I mean, we discovered with one client that sometimes we talk about a product that is aimed at an employer in a household, but the benefit could be for someone who is a domestic worker or a gardener. So a publication such as a community publication would be ideal for those kinds of things. And yes, they are the only ones who are thriving and still growing. And it's a, it's not as only a South African uh, phenomenon. It's a, it's an international phenomenon. In the U.S., a lot of the, the bigger publications are struggling, but there is a, a definite growth in, in the knock and drops. And in this country, it's not any different. And we, wherever we live, we, we pick up our local newspaper to check on trends. If you used to go into the corner filling station to go and draw money, you'd want to know if there's been activity there that, you know, people have been robbed at the ATM, if if it's safe to use certain routes when you go out jogging or any any other news that you might want to know. But in there as well, you might find something interesting that pertains to a client of, you know, something that, that's outside of just local news. So that they they extremely important as a platform. But it's been difficult in the last 15, 20 years to convince community newspapers to consider something like what would be called business news as a beat. And sometimes it's it's a it's a function of skills and sometimes a function of personnel. I mean there is a a, a local newspaper in in Johannesburg, on the eastern side of Johannesburg, that's run by one person who writes, you know, from the front page to the sports page at the back. So, you know, if you say to that kind of person there is a business that's operating in your in your environment, they could come, but they, they, the coverage would not be, the story would not be as deep and, and as, as informed as someone who focuses on business. So those are the challenges in terms of community newspapers. So, Rio, when it comes to, you know, perhaps equipping, enabling, empowering, particularly those young journalists who, who who don't want to get it wrong, who who intent on contributing to their craft, must be pretty intimidating, daunting to sit in front of a seasoned chief exec, perhaps with your first, second interview. How can we make them better equipped? How can we set them up for success, those junior journalists? Because they're not going away. That's what we're going to be facing more and more, I would imagine, within the sector. For me, it's a few things, Alan. It's it's making sure that uh, one creates a very close relationship with those young journalists and assuring them that whoever they're going to meet is as personable, is welcoming, is warm. And, and sometimes they're not, but it's, and, and that because they have a job to do that those people are not as scary as they might think. And the other thing is to make sure that uh, they are equipped with as much information as possible from the profile of the CEO and the journey they took to get to their C-suite and and making sure that at all times they can sometimes get to meet CEOs in environments that are less threatening, in, in kind of a pseudo-social environment where they can talk about things, even if it's discussions about the business, but it's an, in a less threatening uh, environment, say a coffee shop, unlike a boardroom or the CEO's office. And, and sometimes it works because you go to a, a, a company headquarters and you can find a coffee shop downstairs and you can use that. And the environment is less less threatening for the journalist than say, sitting in a, in a CEO's uh, office. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a lot of hand-holding 
it's a lot of trying to understand what is what needs they have and making sure that you we we close the gap in terms of empowering them to have the information they need it sounds like it's enlightened self-interest for the C-suite to invest time and effort in those relationships, as you're saying, to perhaps spend time outside of the boardroom, getting to know a young junior journalist better, setting them up to be senior journalists of the future. Yeah, it is It is invaluable, uh, Alan. And there's been cases in the past where senior executives have met journalists as they're starting out in, in the business and those journalists have gone on to become editors. So the relationship would be almost a lifetime relationship. So it's it's never a waste of time. I think it goes as a matter of, uh, of record that few people share your relationships that you have with newsrooms and the people in those newsrooms. Thanks for joining and sharing with us today. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for listening to Apria Voice, a podcast from the reputation, management and strategic communications professionals at the Apria Group. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.